Violet and Ada, it's so great to have you both on this, our inaugural Angry Robot show. So just to give a little bit of an introduction to the people joining us, um, Violet Kaftan has written an amazing book called Her Silhouette Drawn in Water, and it's out next week from Tor.com. And also joining us is Ada Hoffman, who is one of our very own Angry Robot authors, who's written The Outside, which will be out at the start of June. But rather than me giving you um, a rather mangled and overexcited blurb of each of these books, I'm going to get each of them to introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about the book. So, Viola, would you like to take us away? Sure. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited that Angry Robot is starting a new podcast. This is this is awesome. So my book is called Her Silhouette Drawn in Water, as you said. It's a queer psychic thriller. It's set on a prison planet of the future in which two lovers are struggling for survival. They are trapped on the planet. They're telepaths. And the protagonist, B, doesn't remember why she's there or what they did. And only her lover tells her what the problem's been. So it's a, it's a quick read. It's a good, psychic, speedy thriller. I can definitely attest to that. I, I had a great time reading it last week. And Ada, would you like to tell us a little bit about The Outside? Yes, my book is called The Outside. It is a space opera with some Lovecraftian cosmic horror elements. It is about a conflict between um, AI who have set themselves up as gods who rule the galaxy, kind of, and Lovecraftian horrors on the other side, which they're trying to keep outside the galaxy. And then my autistic scientist protagonist named Desiro, who gets kind of caught in the middle of the conflict between those two things. And I can also attest that it is excellent. Um, I don't know how much um, listeners know, but I only started as the Angry Robot editor about a month and a bit ago. And it's it's very nice to be left books like this to work on because it was just an absolute joy to read. So I guess what I wanted to ask both of you is, do you have any really fun anecdotes from writing it? You know, was, was there any like weird things you picked up during research? Like any great stories just to break the ice? I have an interesting story about her silhouette, and that is that I had actually already written the book, but I did a lot of research on cave diving and cave exploration for the book. And I, in fact, had to simplify a lot of it simply because my characters would just flat out die if they were in uh, some of the caves that humans explore uh, <laughs> here in uh, here in the uh, on Earth. That said. The, if you'll recall, the 12 boys who were trapped in the cave in Thailand uh, that were rescued by divers happened yeah. rather shortly after I had finished drafting this, as I recall. And what was interesting and kind of scary for me is as I watched that story unfold on the news, I understood how touch and go it really was, how much danger they were in. I mean, you know, the media plays it up and you never really know kind of what's going on. And I am astonished that they got the kids out of there, all of them, and only lost you know, one heroic diver trying to rescue them because they were in a, a world of hurt. They they had some big problems. And I know it was yeah. it was amazing kind yeah. of watching it, all it, of the news coverage. The technical and I, I I went and researched the technical details of the rescue, and it was just uh, fascinating. And you know, one thing they did is they didn't publicize this, but they drugged the kids uh, so that they were essentially asleep while they were being pulled out. And that was that was just flat out practical. You know, they didn't publicize that because people would freak out. Oh my God, you're drugging kids. Kids, they had to do it. There, there was no other way to get them out of there without risking them panicking and killing everybody they were with. So, yeah. Anyway, so that, that's my anecdote. 
You know, it's interesting that you should mention caves because I'm sorry, I haven't read your book. I'm sure it's great. The summary sounds great. But I recently blurbed another book um, called The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling, which is a horror book set in caves about diving. And that, again, just terrifying all the stuff that happens in caves. Uh, deep I'm ones yeah. and, and Cthulhu yeah. and you never even know. <laughs> Have you guys, did you guys read that amazing, it was this incredibly long series of Reddit posts about a diver who went missing in this like undiveable cave system. I really wish I had it to hand so that I could recommend it. I'll include it in the podcast notes so that everyone else can be horrified and also read Kate's <laughs> with me. Um, and I'll send it to you too because it is amazing. But yeah, I mean, the caving in the start to her silhouette is just kind of terrifying as you're moving through it. It feels like such a otherworldly place because so few people, I mean, I've never been trapped in a cave. I, it honestly sounds like my idea of hell. Um, I get very close. <laughs> That's kind of um, how it came about is, uh, well, uh, long story short, I asked people, what is the most terrifying environment you can, you can think of? And that was kind of, there were, there's variation. People had different ideas, but the consensus was dark, cold, mm -hmm. cramped, and full of bugs. So. Yeah. Wow. You nailed it. Well done. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, so Ada, do you have anything from writing it that you'd like to talk about? So, so one of one of the things that amuses me most about how this book was written, I mean, it's very funny now because I'm seeing these these wonderful, flattering, advanced reviews coming in saying, "Oh, it's such intelligent, big idea, science fiction. It's this and that." And I'm I'm so flattered to read these things. It's great. But the actual place where this book comes from, the actual origin of this book, is that I had a crush on one of my friends' D and D characters. That's, that's literally where. It comes uh, <laughs> the character Akavi, who is a major villain in the story, was actually one of my friends' D&D characters. And I just, I I wanted to write more about this character. And I just talked to my friend. I was like, hey, okay. what if I put this guy in space and just wrote a book about him? Would that be okay? And he was like, sure. Not for everybody else. It was just me <laughs> trying to, like, come up with some weird enough world building that it would, like, support what this character is about while also not looking like dandy <laughs> <laughs> so have we thanked your friend because what a great job <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> yes we're super in touch about the book and it's it's very he's he's very amused to see how this has all come out <laughs> that sounds awesome um, I, your book sounds awesome when you're mm -hmm. describing it I said I was like yes <laughs> are you looking for me <laughs> because this is yeah. space and, and Lovecraft and I'm I'm in I'm in <laughs> I was honestly I was so sold oh, on, on the blurb like the second I read it it's it's just very much my jam I I love Arkham Horror I play I play tons of Arkham Horror okay I haven't actually played that one I've heard of it Wait, what is Arkham Horror? Oh, it's a cooperative board game. It's a Lovecraftian cooperative board game. I do oh. a lot of board games and stuff. Anyway, but uh, I, I'm sorry. Go, go on. <laughs> it's okay. So um, I thought we'd start off with a question. And I was wondering if you could tell us, how would each of your lead characters describe love? Viola, do you want to take us away? Sure. Um how would B describe love? I think that that changes over the course of the book, but let's just say when it opens for her, what love is, is love is survival. Love is staying with your partner because you know that 
the two of you together are far, far stronger than one alone would be. And love is about the support, the emotional support being there. In a way, when the book starts, you know, B doesn't have a lot of options. And so I think she doesn't entirely understand what love is. And over the course of the book, she learns what it truly is. She learns that love is more about making sure that the person you care about is going to be all right, making sure that they're going to be fine and not worrying so much about yourself. And I think in the end, that's where she comes down on it. Okay. And um, Ada, what would you say? So my, my protagonist, Ysira, she is in what I think is actually a very good relationship throughout the book with her girlfriend, Tiv. But I think I think if you actually ask this question directly to Ysira, she would struggle with it because I think Ysira is actually a bit suspicious deep down of the idea of people caring about her. I think throughout the book, this is one of the things that's actually made, um, this is actually the thing I've gotten the most negative feedback, I think, about from early readers, that some people are a bit uncomfortable uh, with this because Ysira has trouble, I think, trusting some of Tib's motivations toward her. She keeps thinking, well, you know, you said this nice thing to me, but that's not because you actually mean it. It's because you're trying to be a good person who says nice things, you know? And, and some people don't like reading that they're like that's disrespectful to Tiv and it kind of is but I think this is this is something that happens a lot actually to people on the autism spectrum that we we just get so used to people almost pitying us and saying oh well I'll be nice to you because that's the right thing to do is to be nice to be weird people you know but I don't actually like you and so I think she is struggling with that a little bit in the book Mm. okay that's so interesting. I also, I was reading it and um, it was, I related to that kind of point of view where, oh, are you just doing this to be nice? From like my kind of teenage self, where you don't have that much confidence as well. And you're like, is this, is this a trick? Well, I mean, unfortunately, that's something I relate to as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, my next question um, is a slightly kind of trickier question. It's more about the the scope of the writing world at the moment. And both of you are so kind of like, well, qualified to talk about this. But there's been so much talk recently, I think, on Twitter, because I spend too much time on Twitter. Who doesn't? About <laughs> kind of using like the tag slash term of like hashtag own voices um, and how it's slightly problematic because what it can do is it can make an author kind of market themselves or market an aspect of their identity and sell it to a publisher so a publisher can kind of package it and and get it out there and I kind of understand I've I've read a lot about it and I've been um, coming across it from different angles but I was really interested to know what you two thought about it and that discussion how it's been going on at the moment. Byla? I think it has positives and negatives both and that's a bit of a non-answer but at the same time I think own voices as a hashtag has a lot of power because it lets people declare, I really do know this thing I'm writing about. I'm close to it. I care about it. But at the same time, you know, just because I'm bisexual, I'm queer, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to entirely understand the experience of, say, a cisgendered lesbian or such a situation. So I feel like on some level, own voices, yes, it's nice to say that 
I'm within this category, I'm close to this category. At the same time, it's a little bit misleading too, because mm-hmm. where those lines are drawn is entirely up to, well, forces kind of outside my control, you know? And so I think it's, I, I don't think it's a, a terrible thing. I just think it needs to be used with caution and that just because something says own voices doesn't necessarily mean it's done well and right. And just because something doesn't or doesn't have the right to say that, it may still be done pretty well. You know, it's it's sort of like hashtag of good sign, but not necessarily proof positive. Yep. Um, Ada, did you have any other thoughts about that? Well, I basically agree with Byler, but I wanted to give a little bit more context because the reason I was tweeting about this recently uh, is because of an anonymous post that recently went up on Mary E. Roach's blog. This was by an anonymous author who'd actually been rejected by... This was a bisexual author who had, you know, gone through a lot of angst about her identity and about whether she was queer enough and and whether she, you know, fit in. And she wrote a novel about a gay character and she got a letter back from a publisher saying, well, you know, things are so PC these days that unless you're unless you're gay exactly like your character, we just don't want to even deal with this. And she was upset about that. And so she wrote the blog post. And so I think I actually like the hashtag own voices for basically the reasons why Byler said it's a good sign. I think it's very useful for people who already have the intention of marketing themselves that way and who want to say, hey, you know, I'm a I'm a queer person writing about queer people. I'm a disabled person writing about disabled people. I'm a person of color writing about people of color, anything like that. There are already people who want that content from that kind of perspective. And there are people who are already trying to market themselves that way. And for people like that, own voices hashtag is a useful way of labeling it and of um, making it accessible for people who are looking for it. So the danger is when it's used as a litmus test, when you say, I'm only going to read own voices and nothing else. That puts people like the um, like the author of the anonymous blog post in a really bad uh, position, because then it becomes not just a question of whether you're writing respectfully, whether you're writing well, whether your book is harmful or not. It becomes almost you have to you have to prove these private things about your own identity that you might not even want to be talking about publicly outside your book. And you suddenly are being, you know, interrogated about them almost. And that's a very uncomfortable position to put authors in. And that wasn't the original intention of the hashtag. I actually know the person, uh, Corrine Doibis, a little bit, who created this hashtag originally. And that wasn't the intention of it originally was to be a litmus test. It was, it's much more useful just as a label for people who want it that way, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And it sounds to me, I, I think we're mostly in agreement or, or did you disagree with part of what I said or did I just misunderstand entirely? <laughs> I don't even remember, honestly, but it sounds like we're at least mostly in agreement. <laughs> Oh, okay. 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 I, you started with what I thought you started with was I mostly agree, but uh, okay. All right. So we're in agreement. I think you know more, you know more about this than I do for sure. I, I mostly yeah. use Twitter for, for kind of fun, some promotion. My Twitter is very silly. So if you like silly, I'm, I'm a good player. My husband, of course, is the sillier one, but as we've declared, but at any rate, I, so I, I don't know that I've ever actually used that hashtag. I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I said, I think it has potential to be used well. Uh, it just also has potential to be problematic, especially when we start slicing people into different, you know, chunks of diversity. Like, right. for example, if we say, you know, disabled, uh, you know, that's a that's such a wide swath of of experience that you can't you can't even 
You can't even compare. I, do, I don't even know how to say, what is own voice is enough? You know, do I have to write only my own medical conditions or how close can I be to my, you know, you know where's, the, where's the line here? And, and once you start getting into that. It's- that is definitely another of the problems that happens with own voices because it's really, it's really, there isn't a line in real life. There's a lot of, there's a lot of continuums. There's a lot of stuff that mushes into each other. There's a lot of stuff that's sort of similar, but not really. And I mean, we're writing science fiction and fantasy. So I haven't had the exact life experiences that Ysira's had because for one thing, I'm not living in a science fiction universe. And that is the life experiences she's had, including related to her disability and included related to other things. And um, so you can get, you can get arbitrarily picky about, you know, how similar do you have to be to your character you know, are you this similar? Are you that similar? And I feel like that's not the most productive discussion to have. Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes you take your own experience and you translate it in a way that's almost unrecognizable. Yes, that too. Yes. Yeah. B undergoes trauma and it's in retrospect, I hadn't even thought about it at the time, but I was I was recreating a lot of my own uh, traumatic experiences with my health, uh, except did it differently, and I didn't even think about it, but I think that's where I drew a lot of the energy from. I have definitely had that happen too. Yep. It's so interesting to hear both of you talk um, about, because I think what's so clear is, is essentially being responsible with things like that, terms like that, and making sure as well that when you're writing, you're writing from a place of often kind of respect and for your characters as well as for their experiences. And I think one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was um, if there are kind of any books uh, either of you had read which you felt represented kind of neurodiversity really well to you. Okay, so I'll start with this one because I actually, if you go to my website, adahoffman.com, you will see I have this long running series called Autistic Book Party where I review different books, um, different science fiction and fantasy books with representation of autism in them. So obviously there's much more to neurodiversity than autism, but that's, that's where I've been focusing. And so I do have quite a few book recommendations to make along uh, those lines. One of them Mm-hmm. I'll just list like a couple of my favorite ones. One of my favorite ones is the book uh, Failure to Communicate by Kaya Sanderby. This is a book about an autistic woman in the far future who is actually learning. Um, she's using some of the skills that she's had to learn as an autistic person of just interpreting neurotypical people's body language, which is so different from her own. And she's now using that skill professionally in order to help humans communicate with aliens and she runs into some very interesting intrigue. And that's one of that's one of the most relatable autistic characters I've ever read. I really enjoy that book. Another of my favorites, now this isn't someone who has a full novel out yet, I believe, but Rose Lemberg's uh, Birdverse series. It's a wonderful series of fantasy stories and novelettes and oh, novellas uh, set in this very rich fantasy world, which is very diverse on a number of axes, neurodiversity being only one of them. But there's some wonderful autistic characters in that one, as well as queer characters and trans characters and all sorts of very interesting, complicated things happening. I really enjoy that series. A couple others, Corinne Doibus's book, On the Edge of Gone, that's about an autistic, that's a YA about an autistic girl in an apocalypse scenario, actually, a comet is going to hit the earth and people are trying to, you know, escape in these spaceships and whatnot. And uh, she's trying to get a place on one of these spaceships even though she's disabled, she might not be considered one of the, you know, worthiest people to go on these spaceships. And, and, it, and what that book ends up doing is challenging some of the assumptions that we make 
in these kinds of apocalyptic scenarios in the first place about how resources are distributed. It's very interesting. Um, I, I can stop now or I, have, I can keep going. <laughs> I love that you have a massive list. Um, Viola, did you have, do you have any? Uh, I, you know, I think Ada has covered it so well. I mean, you know, of course, I, I like The Speed of Dark by Elizabeth Moon, but that's about, uh, uh, that's about the top of my list. I, you know, I, I mostly have been reading so much nonfiction lately. And so things like uh, Driven to Distraction was incredibly useful for me as an adult to recognize ADHD symptoms. Um, it's, you know, it's a classic nonfiction book of that. And because women are generally underdiagnosed with that and their symptoms mm -hmm. manifest differently. I found it useful because it now in the updates talks more about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not particularly uh, what you were asking, but I think Ada's covered this so well. I'll just, I'll just bow down and, and I'll, yes. I'll bow down and shut up about it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make both of you give us more book recommendations later. So don't worry about that. I did, I did want to say something quickly about The Speed of Dark, which is that's actually, among autistic readers, that's actually a somewhat controversial book. And that's, as, mm -hmm. a, as an autistic reviewer, that's the one I get asked about most often, actually, is, oh, have you read The Speed of Dark? There are some things that The I Speed do of Dark that. does really well. It depicts um, some of the power dynamics that affect its autistic characters really well. There's also some things it does not so well, and in particular, kind of the where, where it ends up going in the end, which is with its kind of your storyline is something a lot of people are uncomfortable with. So I just want to mention that, but it's cool. Like there are, there are also autistic people who love this book because of what it does with power dynamics. And so that's Agreed. fine. Like I'm not saying you're wrong. I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> I, no, and I, I have heard that yeah. and I, I do know all that. It's just the, it's the only thing that came to mind. And in fact, I have had a similar reaction where I didn't quite like the ending, but I like, liked so sense. much else of it that I still think it's on. I, I I'm one of those people who, tends to kind of weigh the good and bad you know it's it there are people who say that x ruined it for me which is totally valid i tend to be someone who goes i don't i didn't like that aspect i did like these aspects you know it's i i liked it in the end because of those but i absolutely respect that those are not entirely that that's my opinion and i can totally see why somebody would feel differently about it i wanted to ask both of you because you both have such an amazing track record in the realm of kind of short stories and you've both been kind of writing in different areas for a while obviously Ada your, your website your book reviews I wanted to talk to you about how it kind of how writing short stories and writing in different mediums kind of set you up to in your case Ada write a novel and in your case Viola write this particular novella uh, I'm sorry the question is how short stories set us up to write those yeah. okay um for me, the, it was just a natural progression. Learning to write a short story, I had to learn to write really good flash as well. And in flash fiction, every word counts. You cannot waste a word. And in a short story, every sentence counts. You really can't waste a word. And when you get up to novella, you know, you can maybe have a stray sentence here and there, but the paragraphs matter. So I have a theory that once I get up to the, the novel, the pages matter, but that's an, <laughs> that I couldn't tell you for sure. I, I do know that I have done better by writing short and tight and learning to expand it. And that may well be how I continue on towards writing a novel. Mm -hmm. And Ada, this is your first full length novel. This is my first full-length novel that's been published. <laughs> I had a few attempts earlier that didn't work as well, but um, I definitely found that 
definitely what Viraler said um, about short stories. There's a lot you learn about prose and about writing sentences and about many of the nuts and bolts of storytelling from short stories. What I found most difficult about transferring from short stories to novels was the pacing. Because the pacing is so different. And actually, the first few times I tried to start writing the outside, I really couldn't get the pacing right. I was really trying to cram everything into a much too small of a space. And I actually had to get my alpha readers to kind of like just sit down on me and be like, no, 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 like force me to slow it down. Because otherwise, at the beginning just didn't work. It was just a rush of different things. (laughs) Yeah. And Viola, um, did you say that you're thinking about working on a novel? Is there... Well, I have, I've certainly drafted novels and I have not to this point found any of them in submittable condition. I'm so close. I, the last one I wrote was really getting there and I have ideas towards working towards the next one. So at this point, I'm kind of waiting to see what direction to take next. I myself have not decided for sure whether I want to keep writing more novellas or whether I want to uh, focus on short stories or or get the, a novel out. I, I guess I'm not quite clear myself on yeah. what, I, what I am best suited to do at this point. And I think sometimes you don't know what a story is going to be until you kind of sit down and write it, whether it's going to suit a novella or if it needs more space or if it's a short well, story. I, I, I see your point, but I actually disagree. This is my superpower. I can tell you how long my idea is going to be. I don't know. I just can do this. And I thought everybody could do it until I start talking to writers. And they. Can, I don't know. I can usually tell you within 5% how long something's going to be. Interesting. It's a good superpower. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I must. I must decide and then decide to prove myself right and then do it. I don't. I. I couldn't tell you. I am definitely one of those writers who cannot tell how long something's going to be until I write it. I'm like, this will be flash fiction. And then suddenly it's 5,000 words long. I'm like, oops. <laughs> um, are you working on another novel, Ada? Do you have plans and thoughts? Well, um, I mean, the thing I would most like to do, my, my, my fondest hope in terms of novels right now is to write book two of The Outside. And that's obviously going to contingent on, I mean whether or not the publisher wants it and whether the sales are good enough to justify it. But I'm like sitting here being like, Oh, can I write this? Can I write this? But I also have some other things I'm working on. I have a that your, your commissioning editor is on this podcast and happens to really like the book, isn't it? Yes. Hi, commissioning editor. We should talk. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think I already sent you actually a synopsis of what I'd like to do. But anyway, um, I also, I have a backup project I've been working on and that involves dragons and like dragon paleontology. So we'll see if anything end up, ends up happening with that as well. Oh, exciting. And I wanted to ask you as well. So you, you told us a little bit about the basis for Akavi and uh, how he was a D&D character. But I guess, and I mean, this is a little bit of a, a lead on from the question I just asked you, but do you have plans for revisiting him again in the future? Oh yes, yes. A coffee will definitely. If I if I write book two, there will definitely be more a coffee in book two. That was a, that was a question on demand of uh, yeah. a few people in the office um, who are, who, are, who are very devoted. So, what a great place to, to have your fans. <laughs> Fly, I wanted to ask you a little bit. Um, you you've already told us a lot about kind of caves and things like that. Do you dive yourself? Is that how you got this kind of amazing sense of place and location? I do not. 
Um, I am essentially too disabled to safely do it. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose I could you know, do a very basic walk around in a cave kind of thing, but I can't do the kind of scrabbling and crawling and wall climbing and, and so on that the characters are doing. Uh, All of those things shot fair into my soul. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, excellent. I, I do, in, in my rather wild past, I, I, I did skydiving, but I was really not interested in cave diving. It's a, it's rather messy. Um, but I'm luckily, I'm not claustrophobic at all. So that doesn't bother me. And I don't have a fear of heights and that doesn't bother me. But I did a lot of research for this. And the, the things cave divers will do is just incredible. You could, in, in, in true cave diving and like some of the really deep places in Mexico, you can die at any second. It is no joke. You, you're repelling, you know, into black, pure blackness and you only know where you're going because your friend has told you how far it's going to go and when you'll be able to, you know, touch something. I mean, that's that's pretty scary to me too. So I'm going to be blaming you if I have nightmares tonight. Oh, just, oh good. Well, um, I'm working no. on that. Um, and I assure you, Chthonians live in there, so we can, you know, uh, all the Lovecraft creatures are in there, and it's I, there's a reason we're all afraid of these deep, deep pits in the earth. People explore these things just to kind of see where they go. I mean, sumps are basically underground, I guess you'd call them underground passageways, like, you know, kind of like a, 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 an entirely enclosed underground river. And you go into one and you just don't know if you're going to get out the other side if you're exploring. I mean, you, you have your air with you. And if you get lost or stuck in between rocks, you know, there you go. That's it. And uh, so... For me, it was a matter of sort of armchair exploration. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big armchair adventurer, which is to say, I, you know, if I, if, if my body were healthy and whole and, and athletic, I might be more into some of these things. That's hard to say. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I certainly have a sense of adventure. Uh, I went skydiving when I was younger and it was awesome. And I think the, you know, I think the draw for me is simply, it gives me some of the, some of the adventure I crave, but without the risk. So I have a sense of adventure, but I'm not a huge risk taker. And that's sort of an interesting combination. And that's, I think, yeah, what leads me to explore right your this way stuff. into the adventure, can't you? If you're sitting in an armchair, you can imagine all of this yes. sort of kind of dangerous, jagged world around you. Yep. But yep. you are also in your armchair at the end of the day. So that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. And I'd like, you know, I, I suppose I'd love to be that person who, you know, has gone and done all these things and comes back and writes about them. And if I were that, I would be a very different writer. I think that's all I'd mm -hmm. write about. As is, it's just simply sort of one tool in my toolbox that I'm very interested in. Uh, and I, I'm fascinated by people who... Um, who are able to do this kind of thing. So on some level it's, it's interacting with a world that is not safe for me to, to go through. Um, you know, I have severe allergies along with my other exciting health problems. And I just can't even be outside some parts of the year. I mean, the pollen is just so dire. It's, it's, uh, really, really awful for me. So in some level, this is me exploring places that are just extra hard for me to get to. One of the aspects about books is that you kind of can sit there and you can go on these incredible journeys without, without being limited by, you know, whatever your conditions are, whether you don't have enough money to get there or whether, you know, it's just in space. And frankly, none of us can afford to go to space. Ada, obviously with your location, it's a, it's a trickier, trickier question um, because I imagine you've never been on a spacecraft. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
I have definitely never been on a spacecraft. It would be a really good reveal if you had. <laughs> but did you, are there any kind of particular locations or things that helped inspire you building, doing this world building? Well, not so much in terms of physical locations that I've been to, although um, obviously I have been to graduate school and I recently actually, I defended my PhD thesis in computer science back in October. So if you're looking at some of the teacher-student relationships that happen in the book or um, anything like that, then there is something of an inspiration there that comes from all of my school experiences. Um, Congratulations on defending your PhD. Thank you. Actually, I'm going to be going to my convocation ceremony very shortly after the launch date of this book. So that's kind of fun. That's quite a lot of fun in in this short space of time. (laughs) All right. And there were kind of, there's one other slightly silly question I want to ask you both. Um, So your leads both have quite an exhausting time of it, which I don't think is a spoiler, because frankly, if you're reading a book and expecting nothing to happen, I'm I'm not sure what the right books for you. But what holiday would you prescribe for them um, for some rest and relaxation? Oh, B totally needs a holiday, poor girl. (laughs) Oh, my God. God, she needs a holiday. So I let's see. I think what she needs is, uh, hmm, I think she needs a floating cloud in the sky, just herself. She needs to spend some time just chilling, maybe listening to nice music or reading a book, uh, but not really doing anything. She just needs to sleep a whole lot. Um, kind of same. No, Yasira's quite exhausted and in a kind of not great mental space by the end of this book and I would love to just plunk her down like on a beach somewhere with nice soothing waves going back and forth and just lying there with a nice book and a drink and with Tiv taking care of her and just like sleep there for like several weeks and unfortunately that's not what she's going to get to do at the end of the novel but it would be nice if it was (laughs) Do you suppose they could go share room costs? Just keep, you know, keep costs down, go share a room on a resort. Yeah. You know, occasionally talk to each other, but mostly ignore each other. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I think that sounds fair. <laughs> I feel like this year would need a bit more privacy than that. <laughs> Oh, they're better. Oh, you know what we need is like one of those setups that has a big central room and then there's individual bedrooms off of it. So you can go into the central room and hang out or you can go back into your room. And then there's at least one bathroom for every like two people uh, or something like that, you know, like shared linked bathrooms or something. I like that we're creating an imaginary hotel. I think we can we can get together a big beach retreat for like exhausted protagonists. They can all flock there. (laughs) Wow. Um, And I guess to kind of round off, um, I wanted to ask you if there are any authors that you wanted to give a particular shout out to whose stuff you've read recently that you think is great and you want to recommend to um, the listeners of the podcast? Um, I'm always a fan of Nalo Hopkinson. Um, I particularly like The Salt Roads, if you're looking for something. Um, Octavia Butler, of course, everybody knows is great. But Wild Seed is one of her less read books, I think. And uh, it's probably my favorite. Uh, So those are my two recommendations. Oh, now, see, when I saw this in the question list, I didn't realize it was for recommendations. I was just like, do you want to shout out to people for some random reason? I mean, you can do do anything you like. (laughs) 
my setup that I wrote down in my notes is actually a Mark Rostad, who is a fellow autistic author. Um, they don't have a full novel out yet, but um, they do have a short story collection out called So You Want to Be a Robot. And Merck is someone who is a fabulous writer and who's actually been um, writing friends with me for, for many years. Like we met each other when we were both like nobodies on this little like writing critique website and we've stuck together since then. And when, when Merck does have a novel out, you will know it will blow all of your, all of you away. Um, and I also wanted to shout out, um, a person who actually is not my friend at all. I don't know them. I don't know him well at all, but, um, but Yoon Ha Lee, who is, um, if you like space opera that is full of weird shit, Yoon Ha Lee is, is, is your person. I am in awe of him. And he is also a person who's neurodiverse on a whole, a whole lot of axes actually. And so that also fits. <laughs> Um, I like that you describe um, your recommendation for Yoon Holly is exactly the way I recommend Yoon Holly whenever I tell people to read those books. I'm like, it's really weird. You'll really like it. It's really weird. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank both of you for joining me today. Um, it was so great talking to both of you. And I cannot. Can I give I a shout out too, since we were giving shout yeah. outs? I was, I thought I was supposed, I thought I was naming no. books I've liked. Uh, out were, oh, well, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to thank Carol Perney for, uh, from tour.com, uh, for helping mm -hmm. me connect with you guys. Cause this was really super fun. And, uh, I'll, as always a shout out to my patron of the arts, uh, my husband, Shannon Prickett. Wow. So thank you so much. And thank you for hopping on with us today. It was really great to talk to both of you and listeners. The books are out very soon. So Viola, yours, yours is out like next week, right? 21st. 21st. Yeah. May 21st. So you can get your hands on that very soon. And Ada, you are out second Tuesday of June, which is now how I think about publication dates, because that's what I do. But I will have a date. Uh, let me Google it. It's June the 11th. <laughs> there we go. You know, I'm glad you're on top of it. Obviously, that will be um, available for purchase worldwide as well. And they are both incredible. I cannot recommend them strongly enough. I'm very sorry to both of you that I haven't sent you each other's books. But Viola, I will pop a copy of Outside in the post to you if you would like it. Um, awesome. Yeah, I can, Ada, I could probably hook you up with a copy of Viola's as well. That would be excellent. It sounds so interesting. So great. Thank you so much, both of you, and farewell. All right. Thanks very much for having me. Bye. Thank you.